The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Friday the 13th, it's a spooky podcast for you here on Fantasy NBA Today. I'm your host, Dan Bespris. Welcome to the show. This is, of course, a hoop ball presentation. And you can follow me on Twitter at my name, Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Last name is seven letters. You can play the word jumble the rest of the way if you so choose. Hoop ball, hoop-ball.com, the actual website URL, at hoopballfantasy.com is the Twitter handle, should you prefer to follow them over there. And I would mention here briefly at the beginning of the show to please check out the HoopBall loyalty program, which basically says that if you have an active membership of any kind before Monday, so this is basically the last show that we can truly remind you of this, whether you have one going right now, you are considering getting one, or you've had one in the past and then canceled it for the offseason, get it going before Monday, You can lock in last year's prices, this most recent season, kind of our first one with a true monthly membership platform. And provided you don't turn it off, you can keep that price forever, which is quite special because the prices do go up on Monday. That's why that promo runs out on Monday. And I mean, if you got it on Monday and then left it on, you'd keep that price forever. But wouldn't it be better to keep the previous one? That's the Hoop Ball loyalty program. Go to hoop-ball.com, click on the premium tab, and fire yours up today. Today is a big day for us here on Fantasy NBA Today because we're finishing off the last of our 30-team off-season recap slash preview series that I figured would take us to roughly mid-August, and indeed it took us to almost exactly mid-August. Our next show, Monday, will be the 16th. We'll be roughly halfway through the month at that point, about a half day beyond the uh, month halfway point. And uh, yeah, I don't know why I even brought that up. It's sort of irrelevant to the overall pieces of the puzzle, but it does bring us to within almost exactly two months of the start of the NBA season. That will come next week. The NBA season starts on October the 19th. That's a Tuesday. So uh, Thursday of next week, week from yesterday, will be two months from the start of the season. And really that's like, even when it's not a truncated off season, the two-month mark is the mark. That's when draft guides begin to come out. Our hoop ball draft guide begins to drop on Monday. You'll have a number of articles in it uh, when it comes out on Monday. And then we'll just continue to add things to it over the following two months. Brewski 150, all that good stuff gets added over the following, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight weeks, etc. And that'll take you up to opening day. What that means for us here on the podcast is that it's really time to start putting all of our information together and so next week early in the week we're going to do a little bit of a refresh not so much a team by team thing more like division by division because a few things did shift during free agency and I want to make sure that we kind of rehash where we are on most basketball teams remember we did the Clippers preview before we knew that Kawhi Leonard was going to miss the entire season so that does change things pretty considerably I think we did the Lakers preview before the Russell Westbrook trade so Big things shifted. It's why doing this exercise is sometimes frustrating. You know, it's like doing a pre-write. If you're, for me, it was like doing a a post-game write-up 
when I worked in minor league baseball. Yeah, 140 games, that's a lot of write-ups to put together. Once you, you know, a team's up like 9-2 to two in the eighth inning, you start to write the actual game recap before it's over. Because, I mean, crap, you don't want to be at the ballpark in the middle of the night if you know what happened already, and very few things are going to change. But then there's always that weird game where the losing team scores six unanswered and, you know, gets it to like 9-8. And then you got a good ball game and you have to write what happened at the end as opposed to just, you know, this is a stinker. And that's kind of what happens with this exercise. Inevitably, we're going to have teams that make large moves and we have to rehash them. Go back through, make our adjustments, tweak our numbers, make sure we're on the right page. From there, the plan for this podcast, for my own handicapping, is to begin putting this stuff down in a more meaningful way. Because when we're breaking these teams down, specifically before free agency, it's not that smart to build your list out that early. Big things shift. I mean, almost every team had something change in free agency, even if it was a small thing. Some little thing got tweaked a tiny bit for most teams in the NBA. If you built a whole thing out, you end up having to redo a lot of that work. Instead, I think it's really advantageous, and it's way, the way we've been analyzing these guys is to try to take a more uh, macro approach to each team. Here's a team that has some values. Here's a team that has some guys that are going to be overdrafted. Put them into buckets that way. And then once we now have the data on where everybody's ending up, free agency pretty much coming to a close this week, sort of, and they're stragglers and so forth, now we start to line them up. We start to put them not just in the undervalued, overvalued, likely bucket, but instead you start to put them in the, okay, this is a guy you're targeting around this time frame. Here's a first-round bucket, early first, late first. You know how we like to work with buckets on this podcast, which I realize saying the word out loud a bunch of times on one singular show does kind of turn the word into a, uh, a weird one. Uh, but for those uninitiated... What I mean by buckets is that we put so much stock in actual rank lists. Oh, Yahoo has so-and-so at 35, but so-and-so at 37. Those two guys are the same. Those two guys are effectively the same. We've talked a million times on this podcast about what separates player values. When you're talking about the first round, you probably need a couple of buckets within the first round, the top three or top five the next four or five, the next four or five, that kind of thing. Then you get into the second round, your buckets get bigger because the player values become more smooshed together. Point of reference. The difference between Nikola Jokic and Steph Curry this year by totals was like the equivalent of a mid-first rounder or a late first rounder. That was separating first and second place. So you can make an argument that this year, the first place guy had his own bucket. Steph, Dame, Vooch were kind of in the next bucket. CP3, Kyrie, Gobert, Tatum. You could probably put those guys in a bucket together. Kawhi, Jimmy Butler, Mikhail Bridges, Bam Adebayo, Bradley Beal, Joel Embiid, Giannis, Julius Randle. Like, the buckets, they get bigger because these guys all start to... Their values sort of... uh, The space in between them is a better way to describe it. Gets much, much smaller. Now, we didn't know this was going to be the case. That's a... Uh, post-facto kind of buckets thing. But as you look towards this coming season, we are going to build those types of buckets where the top tier is going to have just a handful of players, the best of the best of the best, the guys that could be a first overall, 
at the end of the year. That's a bucket. Then you'll have a bucket that's guys that could basically be like middle to end first round. You'll probably have guys that are bucketed towards the end of the first round to the second, middle of the second. And again, they just get bigger and bigger. So rather than you come to me this coming season, you say, Dan, you know, who do you have in in front of so-and-so? And like, I'd just pull two names out of a hat that don't really mean anything. Um, I guess we should do it by totals, shouldn't we? Because that's where a lot of folks are, are relying on. Uh, Dan, where do you have Drew Holiday, and where do you have Demontis Sabonis this coming year? By the way, those two guys were 23 and 24 this most recent season. If I just said, I've got them about the same, it's not actually a cop-out. They were literally the same value to a fantasy team, built in in very clearly different manners, but they were the same value as a fantasy player. So, who cares which one of those two guys I have in front of the other they are in the same bucket. That's what we're going to start working on next week. We will begin to bucket the players throughout the NBA. Then it's important to learn how those buckets match up with the pre-ranks from the big box websites. Those should begin to come out, I would think, within the next two to three weeks. And we can compare our notes to theirs. That's where we find our values. We make it easy. We simplify here on Fantasy NBA Today. But let's get into the Team Du Jour. That's the Toronto Raptors, the last club we will profile on a one-by-one basis. Big change this offseason for the Raptors. Kyle Lowry is no longer a member of the Toronto Raptors after a a very long uh, and kind of storied Toronto career. He was there since 2012, uh, nine seasons with the Raptors. I think if uh, making sure I'm doing my math right there, largely banged up in the latter stages, but got himself a championship trophy, and he'll go down as one of the greatest Raptors of all time because of what he did in Toronto. He was just very good the entire time he was there, and you play a decade in one city, that's kind of amazing these days. But here's the thing. I'm not going to talk about Kyle Lowry very much today because that was part of our Miami Heat thing, which I think actually happened before this this sign-and-trade went down. Lowry hasn't played even close to a full season in four years. And even before that, he missed a whole bunch of games. So four of the last five seasons, he hasn't gotten all that close. But this isn't the Kyle Lowry show. This is the Toronto Raptors show. And what he leaves behind is, I wouldn't call it a large usage void, because we saw plenty of games where Lowry wasn't healthy last year. But this is a guy during his Toronto tenure that had taken basically between a dozen and 16 shots per game anywhere from three to six and a half or seven free throws per game, and racked up around seven and a half assists per game during his time in Toronto. That's a lot of usage. Whether you want to talk about the fact, oh, well, you know, he didn't take 18, 19 shots a game. Yeah, that's true, but he was initiating a lot of the offense. Seven and change assists, four and a half, five free throws, and 13 shots. That's a lot of possessions where he is the guy or the guy right before the guy. If you just want to do fuzzy math, you could call it, oh, I don't know, anywhere in the neighborhood of, let's see, about 16 shot uh, possessions that he was finishing, 2.3 plus 13.2 is 15 and a half plus seven assists. You're talking about 22 possessions that he's factoring in every game. That's a ton to leave on the board. And 
We know Goran Dragic came back in that sign-and-trade, but the, the Raptors don't want him. I don't think Goran Dragic starts the season in Toronto. There are plenty of teams that want him. The Raptors aren't one of them. I don't know who's going to come back in a Dragic trade. Presumably it'd be somebody useful or good draft picks or potentially both. But as it stands right now, I think we can relatively safely handicap the Raptors without basically that Kyle Lowry spot turns into a usage zero. Because Dragic is likely going to be gone, and whoever they bring in is probably not going to be someone that just slots right into the starting lineup out of the shoot. That would be surprising to me. Crazier things have happened, but it would be surprising. We've also heard that a lot of teams are interested in Pascal Siakam, who's 27. It's a weird thing going on in Toronto right now because they're kind of going into a rebuild, but Siakam's 27, Freddie Van Vliet is 27, Chris Boucher is 28, OG Ananobi is 24, and weirdly, the guy they got from Toronto, who feels like he's been in the league for a couple of seasons already, and he has, Gary Trent is the young guy. He's only 22. Kem Birch they just re-signed. He's 28 already. Malachi Flynn, who was a rookie, he's 23 already. I mean, this is all kinds of crazy. The guy that's been in the league there a couple of years is the young one, which puts the Raptors in sort of a strange predicament. They're in rebuild mode, but they don't have the ultimate youth to actually call this a rebuild. They're kind of in between. So this team is probably going to try to compete. I don't think this is a tank year for Toronto, and I don't think there's one coming because Siakam's got three more years on his deal. Freddie Van Vliet's got two and a player option, and Anobi's got four. And Gary Trent, they just signed for what, three? Was that three years? Am I remembering that right? Either way, it's a bunch. Then Chris Boucher, he'll be a free agent after this year, but sort of who cares? Kem Birch, as we just mentioned, uh, just signed him for three. This is now their roster. I would say then with that in mind that any fear of the Raptors throwing in the towel this year, you can get rid of that. That's not the red flag on this team. The red flag on the Raptors is that Nick Nurse plays his guys 36 minutes a game and they eventually get hurt because the modern NBA is too fast, too physical for guys to play that many minutes every night and not wind up hurt. Freddie Van Fleet this last year played 52 ball games at a top 16 clip while, by the way, shooting 39% from the field. Not that he's a robust shooter in general. He's a career 41% guy from the floor. But we're actually talking about a Freddie Van Vliet that could be better next year with no Kyle Lowry. He's going to be among the league leaders in steals because that's who he is when he's gotten a full complement of minutes. He's piled them up in his relatively short career. He's going to get more assists this season because Kyle Lowry's not around, so Van Vliet's going to just run a little more offense. But he's going to get hurt. So it'll come down to, and this is, we'll start just diving into the player-by-player stuff, it's going to come down to where Freddie gets drafted. He was drafted this last year near 30, which actually was pretty damn close to where he ended up by final value. It was number 35. Problem is how he got there. Really, really good per game. Missed 20 ball games. Last year, pretty damn good per game. Missed 18 ball games. Previous year, not that great per game. Still missed 18 ball games. 
since he's been a full-time guy, he hasn't played or he hasn't missed fewer than 18 games in a regulation NBA season or whatever length we've been calling in these last couple. He's going to get dinged up again because that's the way the Raptors roll. He plays 36 and a half minutes per ball game this last year. And we just talked about that. Crap, I don't remember who we were talking about with that number. Uh, but Freddie Van Fleet played the third highest minute per game mark of anyone in the league this year. I would point out that Julius Randle playing 71 games at 38 minutes a night, that was the outlier in that group. If you look at the top 15 minutes per game guys, they didn't rack up a whole bunch of games played. Dame at 67, he played 35.8 minutes per game. That was also kind of your other uh, ridiculously high minute winner. Nikola Jokic is way down the board. He played all 72 games, but he was at 34 and a half, so that puts him more towards like the end of the top 20 in that category. But if you're lo- if you're really just looking at like the 35 and a half plus crowd, Jamal Murray season-ending injury, Jason Tatum decent at 64, Beal 60, Dame 67, Siakam 56, Demonis Sabonis 62, Harrison Barnes 58, Russ 65, I guess that was okay, Freddie Van Fleet 52, James Harden 44, and then Randall, who was the freak of the the group and uh, probably ends up getting hurt this coming year because of what he put on his body this last year. All that to say, if you're drafting Freddie Van Fleet, you have to assume he's going to miss 15 games or more. And that's all well and good, because if he's going in the third round towards the end of it, he'll be probably a top 15 per game guy this coming season, maybe better. He actually has an opportunity as sort of the lead horse on this Raptors team. He could be a first rounder on a per game basis. Give him an extra shot attempt per game. Like he's not that far away. Get him shooting 40 and a half, 41% instead of 39. So that's not such a whopper of a negative. Add another half a free throw. Add another assist. That's a guy who goes or who has value near the turn. And then you just pray. Just pray he plays like 66 out of 82 games. But it'll come down to where he gets drafted. If he gets drafted in the 20s, I don't think I could do it, despite the fact that he has that crazy per-game upside this year because he just hasn't ever stayed healthy. Not once. Next name on the list for the Raptors was Pascal Siakam, who continually, I believe, gets overhyped a little bit. He had 21.7 boards, 4.5 assists, a steal, 0.7 blocks, 1.3 threes. Here's the thing. He was fine in every regard this season. Siakam was fine. He took a fair amount of heat, as I recall, because there was this expectation that he was going to make a flying leap forward off the previous season. But the previous season was the flying leap forward. Last year, he averaged 23, 7, and 3.5 and with a steal and a block and two three-pointers. This year, he actually ramped up his two-point attempts and brought his three-pointers down a little bit. Scoring was down about one and a half points per game. Didn't get as many shots this year for whatever reason. Uh, Rebounds were the same. Assists were up a little bit, so he did a little more facilitating. And he ended up in a relatively similar spot, ever so slightly behind last year's marks. Guess what? He'll get a little more usage with Kyle Lowry gone. It won't be a, a colossal amount. 
He's also staring down the barrel of another year playing crazy high minutes. Now for Siakam, he actually logged 80 out of 82 games two years ago at 32 minutes per game. Then put up 60 out of 72 last year and 56 out of 72 this season. Is that a trend? Or are these last... And like 60 out of 72 last year isn't all that bad. The COVID-shortened season... 56 out of 72 this year is not very good, but everybody had their stuff this year. He uh, had surgery on his labrum, remember, also worth mentioning, and is expected to be back, I think, like around the start of the season, but it's not clear if he's going to be totally ready. So that could make our decision on Siakam very easy. If he's not going to be ready to start the year, you just pass. And honestly... Let's just make our lives simple. Just pass on him. He's probably going to get overdrafted because people are going to ignore the injury thing. Like, if he even gets into one game in training camp, people are just going to say, oh, he seems to be fine, but it's not going to be the same. I hate guys coming off an injury the following year, especially who kind of had an injury-plagued season going into the big surgery. And while there is some upside with Lowry gone and more activity for Siaka, more activity is good, if he's going to miss the first... 10 to 15 games of the year, he's going to have a real tough time hitting his mark. So Siakam, probably a no. Mostly on the health thing, but also just because he's not as great as we all kind of wanted him to be. What about OG Ananobi? He was like, he was the found money guy this year, uh, but then ended up getting badly hurt himself and ruined that whole thing. Ananobi played 43 out of their 72 games this season, but had made this colossal jump. Free throw percent from 71 up to 78. Field goal attempts from 8 to 12. That's awesome. Big usage spike. Minutes went up. He was the guy we were targeting, and then he ruined everything by getting hurt. 16 points, 5.5 boards, 2 assists, 1.5 steals, 0.7 blocks. He'll be good again this year, and you just have to hope that he makes it through the season. Last year, he kind of did, 69 out of 72. Previous year, he was coming off the bench. As a rookie, he was starting, remember, but was only playing 20 minutes. So we don't have a ton of data. Ananobi, one year, made it through the season. One year, did not. I would lean towards him probably making it through the year. Uh, You know, this was sort of a light load this season. They didn't make a playoff run. So guys had a t- had time to recover, and he's super young, as we've talked about. Ananobi, uh, born in '97, so he should be able to recover and get himself back under the get his feet back underneath him. Uh, he was number 35 on a per game basis. Obviously, dropped to 108 by totals because of the missed ball games. But I like I don't see any reason why he wouldn't be inside the top 40 per game again this coming year. Nothing that he did this season was unsustainable. And again, I would stress that with Lowry gone, everybody gets to do just a little bit more. Same thing happened when Kawhi Leonard left. Everybody got to do a little bit more. Now Lowry leaves. Everybody gets to do a tiny bit more. Ananobi is a guy I think we really have to target. He has a quiet fantasy game, a terrific roto player, and I, I'd be flabbergasted if he was drafted inside the top 50 because people aren't excited by his fantasy game so why would they make the flying leap for him 
Historically, they just never have. He's an old man type. He's got old man fantasy game because he doesn't score that much. Does a whole bunch of other stuff and doesn't hurt you anywhere. And that is the essence of the Dan Vespers old man squad. We got plenty more to go here on this Raptors team, so I don't want to linger too long on any one player. Let's talk about Gary Trent Jr., who joined the Raptors midseason in a trade uh, with Toronto. Kind of, honestly, a pretty weird trade. Norman Powell out, Trent in. Both guys, as the expression goes, got the bag this offseason. So I don't know what the... I don't really know what the purpose was on either side. It was just like a shake it up. I guess Trent is younger than Powell, so great. Uh, But here's the thing. Gary Trent's fantasy game kind of sucks. Analysts seem at times afraid to say it. Because anybody that takes 15, 16 shots, it seems like they should have some value. But it's just not always the case. Much as we may want them to have value, we can't just will a guy into having a different fantasy profile. After joining the Raptors midseason, now mind you, Gary Trent was playing big minutes in Portland this year also. He was logging 31 minutes a game with the Blazers pre-trade, 32 with the Raptors after it. Admittedly, his job with Toronto was more significant. No Dame, no CJ to push him way down the totem pole. Freddie Van Fleet's going to take a bunch of shots past Pascal Siakam, but those guys are not Dame and CJ. So, his shots went up. In Portland, he took 12.8. In Toronto, 15.4. Consequently, not surprisingly, with his minutes going up and his shots going up, he had more stats in Toronto than he had in Portland. But it still wasn't enough Gary Trent Jr. is basically a points and three-point specialist. He's a three-point shooter who takes a crap ton of them and some, for some weird reason kind of gets a pass on the other stuff. It's, it, I, I, don't, I don't fully understand it. He's like a souped-up iteration of Eric Gordon in terms of fantasy game. Like, Look at what Gary Trent did with Toronto. Took 15.5 shots per game, 16 points, 3.5 rebounds, 1.3 assists, 1.1 steals, uh, and a little under three three-pointers per game. As he settled in, that number was actually even a tiny bit higher. Yes, guys were hurt. Everybody was rotating in and out of the roster for this team. He missed some games in there. His teammates were being rested intermittently. But it all averaged out to about top 140 fantasy value as a full-time starter getting a crap ton of shots let's do this exercise together by the way I didn't uh, as I was talking about Gary Trent the Eric Gordon comp hit me so I actually haven't looked this up let's see if that is as accurate as it feels Eric Gordon might actually have better fantasy numbers uh no that's not the case I'm looking at Eric Gordon 2016. He took about 14 shots per game. Eh, 2017, he took exactly 14 shots per game. Made 3.23s, shot 43% from the field, which, by the way, better than Gary Trent was hitting. 81% at the free throw line, averaged 18, 2.5, and 2 with half a steal. So, yeah, really damn close. Gary Trent slightly more in the steals department, 
slightly lower in the three-pointers department. Because Eric Gordon was pretty much only taking three-pointers. Gary Trent took a few shots from inside the arc. That was basically the difference between those, those two dudes. You know who's never really been a good fantasy player? Eric Gordon. Not to mention the fact that he's always dinged up. Look for Gary Trent to be wildly overdrafted in most fantasy leagues. Although I will give him this. He fits the profile of a points league guy way better than a category leagues guy. And the 8-cat versus 9-cat stuff really sort of doesn't matter with him because his turnovers are low. He's actually better in 9-cat than 8-cat. If you turn field goal percent off, Gary Trent jumps inside the top 25 during his time in, in uh, excuse me, top 75, pardon, during his time in Toronto. That's the points league iteration of Gary Trent Jr. 16 shots a game, shooting 40%. If you eliminate his worst statistical category, yeah, he jumps 55, 60 slots. That's a huge deal. Category leagues? Gross. Gross. Top 130 to top 150 range during his time in Toronto. Uh, If you're an 8-cat, worse. Closer to 150, 9-cat closer to 130. Let's take a best-case scenario for Trent. With Kyle Lowry leaving, he'll be the starting two-guard on this team, most likely. Van Vliet at point. Uh, Trent at the two. What do they go? Ananobi at the three? Is that the direction they want to go with this team? Not entirely clear. Uh, I mean, they were rocking Ananobi at the four last year. They could go Boucher and, and Birch together if they really wanted to. Siakam, probably your four. And Birch, probably is your starting five. That's likely the starting lineup for the Raptors this coming year. Someone will be hurt every game all season long. That's just how it goes. Two weeks in, someone drops... To, to a knee, and then it's just a rotating who's hurt. But your guys that are actually going to be playing minutes are those five that I just said, and then Boucher will be playing, most likely, relatively meaningful minutes off the bench. What to do with Gary Trent Jr.? If you're in a category league, you let someone else deal with that stuff. He's, it's, it's, it's a bad look. That's it. That's all there is to it. He scores. He hits threes. He sniffs steals. A little bit better than league average in steals over those last 15 games with Toronto, but not by much. Terrible field goal percent. And okay, from the free throw line, pretty good there, but doesn't take many. Low turnovers. Not nearly as much upside as you might think for a guy moving into a big-time starting, getting-a-ton-of-usage kind of role. Like... He's going to need to be taking 18 shots a game to guarantee 9-cat fantasy value. More than that if he wants 8-cat value. Points League, again, have at it. But he'll be overdrafted. Sure of it. And then the center spot. And I'm inclined, and, and this to me, this is more common now than it used to be. Multiple centers, each having value for a fantasy team. For Toronto, down the stretch this year, if you looked at the team's last 15 games, or if you look at each individual player's last 15 games, uh, both centers were good. Kem Birch, over his 50, last 15 games in Toronto, averaged 13 points, 8 boards, a steal, 1.1 blocks, bad free throw shooting, but a solid field goal percent, 2 assists. And Boucher, over his last 15 games, uh, played 26 and changed minutes, averaged 14 and 8 with a 3 ball and a half, 1.6 blocks, 0.8 steals. Chris Boucher got clobbered 
by fantasy media for stretches this year. And and we all, those of us who can sort of take the step back in fantasy analysis, all said the same thing. This is how it is with this dude. He'll start for a few games. He moves back to the bench. He'll have a game where he plays 31 minutes. Then he'll have a game where he plays 19. You just have to deal with it. Just be okay with that. Because it averaged out to a terrific season. Now, admittedly, he didn't play the last roughly two and a half to three weeks of the year. Uh, I mean, he played one game in there, but can we really count that for anything? So we don't know exactly how the minutes would shake out when Birch and Boucher are both healthy. But think of it from this perspective. If you look at the Raptors roster this season, who else do they really want to get minutes in their starting front court? Freddie Gillespie? I don't think they're about to spoon-feed him minutes. Utah Watanabe, I guess you could make uh, a case that he's a power forward at 6'9", 215, but it's not really clear, and he's not a guy that they're just lusting to dump him in there for 25 minutes a night. There's plenty of minutes in the front court remaining, even with the way that uh, Nick Nurse likes to play his guys. Ever so brief brain fart on the name of the Raptors head coach, even though I said it earlier in this same podcast. OG Ananobi, who will likely be the small forward, played 33 minutes a game down the stretch last year for the Raptors. Siakam, about 36 to 37 minutes a game. Kem Birch, 32. If you give Boucher all 16 backup center minutes and even like six backup power forward minutes, or hell, what if you rotated those three bodies in there? Sometimes Siakam might play some center. Sometimes you'll play Siakam with Boucher. Sometimes it'll be Boucher and Birch. You can mix and match with that group. They probably will. I don't know that Boucher is going to get to 27 minutes a game this coming year because it really does seem like they like Kem Birch. He's Canadian, so that's cool. I don't think he's from Toronto. I might be getting that wrong. I don't believe he's from, like, hyper-local but I'm fairly certain he's Canadian. Uh, Montreal, Montreal, Kem Birch, which uh, not that far, not that terribly far. So they love him, as they should. Solid player, hustle guy, signed him to multi-year deal. Great. He's worth drafting. He was number 85 down the stretch again. Uh not that unreasonable to think that he couldn't be a top 100 center again for Toronto. Not that unreasonable to think that Chris Boucher couldn't be inside the top 50 again this coming year. And I'm thinking, like, I, I know that Boucher had a great season. And I know Birch finished the year strong. But for some reason, when I look at this Raptors team, the guys that jump out to me as likely to be overdrafted are Siakam, because people are not going to take this surgery seriously. Uh, maybe Freddie Van Vliet, because he did put up those huge numbers, and then again with no Kyle Lowry, Van Vliet as the full-time point guard is a delightful thought. And that's... And Gary Trent Jr., because people don't care that he sucks at six out of the nine categories. They just don't. Ananobi probably going to be underdrafted because his game is quiet. Boucher likely to be underdrafted because he was so inconsistent this last year and he's not going to be the starting center. And then Birch probably under 
drafted because like a lot of people in fantasy just don't even know who he is. I'm extraordinarily excited by the Toronto Raptors this coming season from a fantasy perspective, and we always should be because their guys put up huge minutes per game, and so that means big fantasy numbers. They play fast, they shoot quickly, they play giant minutes. It's a recipe for wonders. It's kind of fun, actually, that the last two teams we talked about, the Celtics and the Raptors, are two of my favorite teams for targeting specific types of players. Let's quickly here make a footnote on each guy based on what kind of league you're in. Freddie Van Fleet, much better in Roto Games cap because he's going to miss 15 games. Tough guy to have in head-to-head, even though he's going to put up big numbers. Those zeros will break you. Pascal Siakam, don't take him anywhere because he's probably starting this year hurt. We don't know for sure yet, but we believe it to be the case. Gary Trent Jr., do not draft him in category leagues, but go ahead and make a run at him in points leagues. He could very easily be a top 75 points league guy. Pretty easily, actually, especially if his role increases in any meaningful way. OG Ananobi, uh, I like him in all formats. I think he has a more durable season coming up because he's basically the young guy in their core group if we eliminate Gary Trent Jr. from that equation, which I guess isn't really fair to do, but OG's the guy who's been around for a while on Toronto and is still young. And sign this giant extension, so he's a, a key part of whatever they're going to be doing there. I like Ananobi in all formats. He just does everything, and he does everything pretty damn well. Um, I like Kem Birch more in head-to-head than Roto, because I think he's going to just be grinding out a solid fantasy profit all season long. But I do like him in Roto as well. The reason I, I'm not head over heels for him in Roto Games Cap is because I just don't think there's a world where he goes higher than top 85 on the season, and as we've talked about a thousand times, you're looking not just for values in Roto, but for guys that can really just blow their per-game ADP out of the water. And I don't think he can blow anything out of the water. And then with Chris Boucher, I I truly don't know where he's going to get drafted. I think he probably gets underdrafted, like probably going in the 70 to 90 range, and I would target him in uh, probably more so Roto, but maybe anything at that particular level, because he does have that upside to go top 50 on a per-game basis. Assume most of these guys will miss some ball games. The guys that you're hoping maybe don't miss a ton are Ananobi, Birch, and maybe Boucher. Those are the guys who are like, ah, maybe these guys can get me to like 75 out of 82, somewhere in that neck of the woods. That would be a win in my estimation. And that's the Toronto Raptors, and that is your team-by-team sweep through the association. Last reminder... Last reminder, before prices go up on Monday, please, if you are considering getting any subscription to HoopBall this year, or have done so in the past and turned it off for the offseason, turn it on this weekend. I beg of you, particularly if you're a HoopBall 360 subscriber, you will be saving so much money by turning it on this weekend instead of waiting until even like a month from now closer to the season, you'll save way more than the one month you'd be paying on it. I promise you this. I can't tell you the exact price increases that are coming, but I know what they are. And with HoopBall360 in particular, please do it now. Please do it now. You'll look back and you'll be like, oh, damn, Dan told us to. And that one has the earliest Brewski 150 access of anything we've got here. It's like in late September, you'll have access to the B150, way before anybody else. 
We're also going to have some brand new bundles to unveil, but none of those will be as good a rate as last season, which you can get on now. Again, I will say if you're already on a subscription, just let it ride. Don't do anything to it. You will automatically be enrolled in the HoopBall loyalty program, which basically just says if you leave it on, you'll keep last year's prices forever. Again, that's at hoop-ball.com, the premium tab. You can hit me up on Twitter if you have any questions about it. I'm happy to answer them at Dan Bespris. And, hey, great time for us to add podcasts. We've been doing that all off-season long. If you think you've got what it takes to be a podcaster or if you already have a show and are looking to get it under an umbrella, holler at me. At Dan Bespris. Love to talk to you about that as well. Have a great weekend, everybody. Back at you on Monday. We'll start the next phase of our off-season ramp up towards the start of the 2021 NBA campaign. I am Dan Bespris. This was Fantasy NBA Today, a hoopball presentation. So long. This has been a hoop ball presentation.